Hi, I'm Hallie, and I want to welcome you to the Odd Life Podcast. That's spelled A-W-E-D, which stands for Awake, Well, and Empowered. In this space, you're going to hear inspirational stories, candid and heartfelt conversations, as well as advice from experts, all with the intention of helping women like you live odd AF. Because I believe that the more of us that live awake, well, and empowered, the better this world will be. So thank you for being here and welcome to your odd life. Hey guys, it's Hallie. Welcome back to the second part of my conversation with accountability coach, Jennifer Cheney. If you did not listen to the first part, you got to go back last week and catch up. But just to recap, we talked about Jennifer's own path to where she's at now, what launched her into this world of accountability coaching, how she approached motherhood, what changed for her, some of her own ahas and pivot points. And I really think it's helpful for actually all women not just those in this part of our life, to pay attention to what's next and how you want to approach the next phase of life. Maybe you're a recent college graduate. Maybe you're a new mom. Maybe you're a mom that has kids now full-time in school. I feel like this is something that can be applicable to all different situations and ages. I thank you for listening to last week's message, and hopefully you got a lot out of that. And I hope that this next part of the conversation will be really helpful for you in taking action steps towards living the next phase of your life with intentionality, authenticity, and purpose. All right, here's part two with Jennifer Cheney. So that's why I call myself an accountability coach. And I feel like we do that for our kids. Yeah. Forever. We've been, yeah. and we do that for our house, right? We're talking about the mental management, everything. We are constantly making sure things are happening. Yeah. We don't do that for ourselves. Yeah. So that's where I feel like that's the weakness in totally. the weakness in the overall plan is the execution. So yeah. That's where I come in. And it turns out that the plan lines up really nicely with midlife. When you have kids that are young, it's a stage that I like to call full-time mom. Yeah. You don't have the extra time right. to be pursuing your purpose or figuring out what yeah. you're passionate about. Yeah. And then you have the part-time mom, and that's where your youngest hits like middle school, right around that age. Your kids are pulling away from you. They're getting their own independence. And it's such an opportunity for us because that place that we had mothering, that time we spent taking care of them and helping them, they need that less. Yes, You all of a sudden have more time yep. and you got some freedom to start exploring and getting curious about what you're passionate about. And then when you are in the on-call mom phase, when your kids are out of the house, you can start working on that passion and hopefully it's turned into a purpose. Mm-hmm. But just moving somewhere is better than staying stagnant. And the bonus of doing this when, like when your kids hit their teen years, when empty nest comes and it will, I know a lot of people don't want it. They don't want to think about it, but when it does come, you will be ready to do something with the latter half of your life, that next phase. You welcome the change. Empty nest is another part of motherhood that is not talked about enough. The beginning of, of motherhood isn't talked about. <laughs> 
nearly enough. The middle part of motherhood is not talked about and neither is the end of motherhood. You're still a mother, by the way, like people get kind of caught up in that. You're, you're just not doing the mothering you were doing before. Yeah. Oh my God. And a lot of women wind up waiting yes. to be needed versus doing, and then yes. also being available. That's right. That's right. You know, I was going to ask about midlife because you brought that up. What do you think mainstream, whether it's media, society, culture, whatever, what do they get midlife wrong? How do they get it wrong? So I, I know I feel like they've gotten it wrong. And I think I was, so we all sold a bill of goods of yeah. like what it's supposed to look like yeah. and what's going to happen. Like, oh shit, it's the big dreaded, yeah. you know, moment in time. Yeah. What is it for you that you see that they have it wrong? Well, I think it's really an interesting place to be because I am looking at this as an opportunity for us. Yes. Yes. And our culture, our America specifically is so focused on youth and Mm -hmm. obsessed by it rather and capitalism. And they're putting all the money advertising towards these young kids. And I don't know if it's because they, because we value youth so much here. I mean, look at Hollywood, right? We value youth so much. Do, do the corporations and, and advertising and media want to spend their money targeting youth because it is important? Or are they targeting youth because they want to create more buyers and long-term yeah. buyers? The problem is the second you, it's almost like when your kids leave the house. So when you have kids that are young, you are still targeted. You are still seen as a consumer from a, from an advertising point of view. And I'm just using this as an example because I feel like this is almost like across the board um, for society viewing us. As we get older, we become less and less visible. After you have kids, you become even more so less visible. But once you hit midlife and your kids are out of the house, I feel like, yeah, you just become invisible. But, and I think the very first step is becoming visible to yourself. Yes. yes. You have to see who you are and you have to know yourself. And then when you walk into a store to buy whatever and the salesperson ignores you, if you feel good about who you are and you're like, I am here, yeah, you can be seen. That's right. And I do wonder how much of the invisibility that people feel is almost like this feedback loop mm-hmm. where you're not seen and you feel bad and you're sort of expecting it and then you start seeing it more and more and more and experiencing right. it more and more. And then you stop trying. That's right. You pull back into yourself, you hide away. Yeah. We get to the point where you're still lost, but lost in a different way. Like you were lost in motherhood. You didn't find out who you were. And then yes. when the kids are gone, it's a whole nother level of being lost. And this is our time. Yes. That's a really interesting yeah. observation because that makes yeah. sense to I mean, me too. And I think this is why midlife, I think they have it wrong is because we're, you know, we have such an opportunity to be role models and guides to our kids after they've left the house. Like they're watching their mom pursue another career. They're watching yes. their dad, yeah. you know, take a hobby to now a side hustle or something like that. They're watching these things happen and they're seeing us evolve and keep evolving. And we are creating now this new image of what midlife looks like because of what we're doing. Exactly. And we have to keep showing up. Yes. We could change that storyline because I think that's what, I mean, you know, commercials, like you said, commercials, whatever, everyone is, 
I mean, it's like if you're over 35 in a commercial, it's either oh for a Geritol commercial, vitamins, you know, <laughs> hair loss. There's nothing. Right. Like, I guess we don't consume certain things after we hit the age of 50, 60. Like what? Like, why are people not I so think, weird? I think it, Forbes, I believe it was Forbes last fall. So fall of 2022 yeah. ran an article and it talked about how women over 40 are the top consumers in the mm-hmm. nation. We're like over 50% yeah. women huh. over 40 are consuming but ad revenue is going to about 5% of us, like targeting us 5%. Like I, that blows my mind. How could you get that so wrong? There was a podcast and I cannot remember the gentleman's name. I've had to go back and find it, but I love this concept of as we get older, we are considered now elders or whatever you want to call it, older generation. We have such wisdom and guidance that we can give the younger generation. Why are we ignoring this part of the sector of the population? There's a book called Breaking the Age Code by Dr. Andrea Levy. And I'm reading about how much our own thoughts about age determine how we feel, how we how we age. Mm. Like our belief system indicates, all right, at age 65, I'm probably going to be looking like this, acting like this, and doing these things. And guess what? You will be doing those things at that age if that's what you right. believe. And so if you yeah. want to be 80 years old and hiking a mountain, then see yourself doing that and do all the things that an 80 year old woman would need to do now to do that. Right. That's, that is exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. When you have a vision of where you want to go, you automatically start making choices to get you there, whether you think about it or not, just thinking about how you want to be reflecting on your life when you're 80 years old can be enough. If you constantly think about that, like what, how do I want to feel like you're hanging out and hopefully it's in some type type of like golden girl situation where Blanche Dubois is asking you about your life and you're looking back and you're like, this is really amazing. This is how I made people feel, how I lived my life, not the money I had, the places I went, the houses I owned how you made people feel. And I think when you do those things and you're so present at the age that you are and so purposeful about it, it gets to change the whole BS that so far has been the midlife quote unquote, you know, crisis or whatever you want to call that dumb thing. Uh, I think this is totally an awakening. I think this is totally a moment for us to really come alive and to be the people we've always wanted to be. And as I was going to ask you, Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I think this is the cool thing about what you're doing. I think this is such important work because I think a lot of women don't pursue things because they don't see other women doing them maybe at their age. There's no role models. Yes. Right. And that, that ties directly into media and advertising. What would happen if we started seeing women doing and pursuing and being, or even just existing as midlife? That's right. Back in 2016 or 2015, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman comes mm-hmm. out. Blew my mind. I walked out of the theater. We, I, I, we saw it twice. Yeah. I took my daughter to see it. Then I took the family to see it. And then we went and purchased it to support this type yes. of movie making. I saw a tweet that I was like, this is it. And she said, so this feeling of invincibility is what the boys grew up feeling every time right. they watched a movie. That's right. That's what we're talking about. If we grew up 
with different role models, if we grew up with powerful, empowered, compassionate women in all walks of life, what would we be like now? Yeah. But we are here, right? We are here. And I just wonder what would happen if we started seeing midlife women that are powerful, empowered, and compassionate. Yep every day on TV. And I think part of this is also just knowing someone's got your back, which I love about yes. what you're doing. Cause I feel like that's what you do is you're able to give somebody this little boost of confidence. Cause it's scary mm-hmm. to do those kinds of things, to, you know, to put yourself front and center. I've done this before. So now here we are pursuing our passion and we're probably having some limiting beliefs, you know, those who am I to do this? Mm-hmm. What the hell? but you can be that person for them. And I would love for you to just walk through working with a new client. I look at, I mentioned this earlier, but I look at motherhood in three phases. You have mm-hmm. the full-time mom, kids are 10 and under generally. Yeah. Part-time mom, youngest hits middle school. You have more free time. You have time to explore and to experiment. And then you have on-call mom and you are there doing your life, living your purpose and passion while mothering, but like basically a lot less than you were before. I have a foundation that I think all moms need, and that is better time management and habits, developing good habits and being very mindful of how they're spending their days. That is the foundation that runs across all of the phases, all of the stages of motherhood. It's because our time is valuable and it is not renewable. And it is the one thing that is going to free you up to start doing the things that you want to do, whatever that is. If that's getting a pedicure, hanging out with girlfriends or going back to school, you need time when you are a full-time mom and you are there for your kids because they need you. It's really, really important to be mindful and learn how to manage your time. When you move to the part-time stage of motherhood, Mm -hmm. you can start getting more curious about things out there, yeah. different activities, different experiment. Maybe you want to try going back to school. You take a class, you learn a new skill, you start hiking, but you experiment, you get curious. And when you get really curious about a lot of things, you will then get a little closer to something that you're passionate about. Yeah. And once you have that passion, you can maybe, if you're lucky, turn it into yeah. a purpose Then you start shifting into the on-call mom phase. So I like to work with women if they are in the full-time mom phase. I don't want to push them to have a life plan at all. Mm -hmm. It would Mm -hmm. be great if they started thinking about it. I feel like that for me in hindsight with my life, if I had given myself the freedom and the compassion to be a full-time mom, and to get better at my habits and my time, and that was my focus, I think I would have been much happier. Yeah. And I think I would have had a lot less guilt yeah. because it doesn't last forever. And then you move into exploring, like I said, getting curious. And that's when you can start a life plan. You can make the life plan when your youngest hits middle school. I mean, really, you can make a life plan at any time, but to make the most of it, you want to have more time. And that is usually when you're in that part-time mom phase. Sure. Yeah. I mentioned this earlier, but the hard part is execution. So 
twice a year, I run a workshop to do the life plan, but people can also hire me one-on-one and the one-on-one is handheld. I walk them through everything. We go through the questions together. You get homework, you go do it. We break it down just to make sure that you are really getting the most of the plan. Yeah. Yeah. And the last step, which anybody can do at any point in time, but it only works if you have a plan is the accountability coaching. So I have a a membership. So people who have a plan, it's really good for entrepreneurs because you have a lot of, we wear so many hats and you have a lot of things that you want to do. And the accountability membership is great because it helps keep you focused and limit your to-do list to manageable priorities during the week. And then I have one-to-one accountability as well for people who need more direction. Maybe they lack Mm -hmm. the drive, but either of those are great for somebody who has a life plan. That's what it all comes down to is action. Yeah. You can dream all you want, but you have to take action. And I don't want to wait anymore. And I don't want any moms out there waiting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Get good at time management. When your kids are little, keep it up when they're, as they age and start getting curious, play around. I'm reading right now. I'm reading Stephen Kotler's the art of impossible. And it is Mm. everything I had hoped it would be. (laughs) It's so good. It's basically neuroscience. So he's not a neuroscientist. He is a journalist that Hmm. would write about extreme sports. So he tapped into peak performance from a, just an outsider looking in like what makes these extreme sports people do what they do? How are they able to do this? And he started getting into the neuroscience behind it. And it is Hmm. fascinating because it lines up with what I have been experiencing and seeing with the stages of motherhood where you get curious and that curiosity will then lead to passion. And once you're passionate, you find your purpose. And once you find your purpose, that's your real driver to action. Yeah. Yeah. But still you have to have grit. You've got to show up all the time to do the stuff. That's that's what people don't want to do. We are wired to take the easy road. That's one of the things that I also think that differentiates me from, you know, a life coach or anybody else who might be in this field or doing this type of work is I am looking at our life, our experience and looking to improve and optimize through multiple different different lenses. I'm not just pushing us to do better. There's science behind it. There's behavioral science, there's neuroscience. And I find that all fascinating. I think a lot of people find it dead boring, which is Mm -hmm. great because that's, I I will read the stuff. I will learn the stuff and I will share it with you. I will put it into words that you can understand so that we can all be living this amazing life. And I just don't think people talk to us. Nobody is looking at us and saying, Hey, maybe that mom who's about to transition into empty nest needs goals and needs help pursuing yeah. and finding fulfillment. That That's, I guess, why I'm here. I feel like I'm filling 
a need, a desperate need. And I think this is what we all honestly need at some point in our life, because when we just get pushed out of our comfort zone, we get pushed out of a, a space that we've held for so long. Once we get a taste of, oh, this feels good. Yes. The more we keep doing that, the more it just that becomes who you are and that becomes contagious in itself. Yes. Like you love that feeling. And now you're pursuing a feeling yep. because that feels better than where you were. Yeah. And you were stuck in that space. Like, oh, I can't imagine going back to that little box I'd put myself in now, but it took one little small step to get yeah. out of that box. And sometimes you need someone to shove you out that box. And I think that sometimes where a coach or a person that's been there mm-hmm. like, can reach back and just, hey, I'm lighting the way for you. Yeah. Here, come come with me. I'm yeah. going to take you as slow as you want or as quick as you want, but I'm here for you. And I love that you're showing up for women in this way because it is something I think so many of us are looking for, but don't really know that's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody exactly. in our life to help us. Exactly. And I feel like we women, moms, have gotten almost comfortable in our discomfort and we are afraid to change. Mm-hmm. And that again is why empty nest is so fantastic because you're being forced to change. That's right. Do you know how many women I have worked with or talked to just random conversations where they are waiting for their kids to need them? Like they're waiting and it's not just hanging out, like waiting, reading a book or yeah. going for a walk and Oh, I'll respond to a text. Yeah. Their kids are teenagers and they are dropping everything in case the kids need them. Yeah. And I learned this trick from my mom. She had to go to therapy when I was a teenager. Apparently I was a very, very hard child to raise. (laughs) I'm delightful now though. And she said, the therapist told her, don't wait to have fun have fun now because your daughter's out having fun and she's not waiting for you. That's right. And that's right. I didn't understand what that meant until I caught myself waiting for my kids to, so I could go pick them up or I could make them something to eat. Both of which I do not enjoy, by the way, I do not enjoy (laughs) chauffeuring my kids around or I certainly do not enjoy cooking. Neither. I, I don't. Same. You want to talk about something that we were lied to about, like nobody told us Ugh. how much food we would be making and throwing away and because throwing you made the food and then they won't eat it. And, like, then you oh, feel, and then you feel bad because they don't like it. They complain and you think toddlers are bad. Wait till you have teenagers because mm. they complain about I everything. I know. I know. <laughs> like, I do think that's nature working in our favor yeah. is that the teenagers become assholes. Yes. So then you can't wait for them to leave to go to college because you're like, you're, yeah. I can't handle you anymore. Exactly. You're Come jerk. back when you're nice. I, I do have one tip for anybody that is feeling yeah. like life is getting to be quite boring, that motherhood mm-hmm. is like the groundhog's day. Yeah. Oh gosh, yes. Two things you could do. Make interesting choices. I learned mm-hmm. that from Will Smith. It just burned mm-hmm. on my brain. Yeah. He said, yeah. I like to, if I have two options, I choose the most, more interesting route. And he is driving in a golf cart and they normally go a certain route. He goes, let's turn left. And they turn left. Yeah. And it was a totally different road, different experience. And they got to the end of it and something was going on. I don't even know what it was, but I was so taken by that simple concept Mm -hmm. of making life more interesting by just taking a different route. 
yeah. drive home a different way. See, yeah. go to a movie theater and don't pick the movie first. I mean, that could end bad, good. but you have an experience, yeah. right? Yes. Just yes. make things more interesting and you will yeah. feel better. And yeah. the other thing that I want more moms to do is to do hard things. Yes. And I know people talk about that a lot. And I want to explain what I think a hard thing is. A hard thing can just be doing the thing you don't want to do. Yep. If yep. you have two choices and one of them is to order dinner out for the family and the other is to make the food you have in the refrigerator so you don't throw it away, do the hard yeah. thing. Yeah. And yep. it's not about making your life more interesting at that point. Doing the hard thing is about building your resilience. It's about showing you that you can do these things. And so the right. next time something comes up, you're like, oh, I already did that. I know how to do that. I know I can do that. Hard things can be walking outside without a jacket when it's cold to get the mail. It's these little things. Like anytime you feel yourself like going towards ease, mm-hmm. check in with yourself and just say, okay, is there a harder way to do this? It will change how you're experiencing the world because yeah. you, it's a it's a mental shift too, and it builds on itself. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you become the person that's known for doing hard things. It's also not trying to make life difficult for yourself, and you know whatever. It's about building a muscle, yeah, right, yeah, to be able to do that's, these things. So I that's interesting. I like that you said that because I've had other people mention that. I, I don't know if it was on a video or something. Somebody said, you just said not to do, to, you just said to make things easy, but now you're telling us to do the hard thing. So like, hey, you make things easy, whatever you're doing, you try yeah. to make it as easy to do as possible. It will ensure you do it. It will get done faster and it will give you more time and you'll feel yeah. good about it. Yeah. Choosing the hard thing gives you a dopamine hit because you did something right. hard. There's a book called The Comfort Crisis. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's Michael Easter wrote it, and he is just—it's all about how we have just become way too comfortable as a yeah. society. Yeah, these are the books I'm drawn to. Yeah, like I'm drawn to being pushed a little bit. Yeah, like I want to experience life. Yeah, David Goggins uh, can't can't hurt me, and his latest one, Never Finished. Mm. He talks about it all the time. How we just always choose easy. Easy. And if we keep choosing easy when anything gets hard, we can't show up and we quit. That's right. So he I think can I swear? Oh, absolutely. One of his one of his sayings is stay hard, motherfucker. Yes. Uh, yes. It's always saying stay hard. Yeah. Stay hard. Yeah. And I I know he's he's not speaking to me. Yeah. He's not speaking to moms. Yeah. He's mostly speaking to other men. Yeah. Yeah. That's who his audience is. And yeah. it's not on purpose. It's because he's a man and he's speaking. So men are listening. Sure. And I've experienced that with a lot of these authors, which it, again, it just keeps reinforcing my thought that we are not being spoken to. Right. And I want to speak to us. And yeah. I want to take these same concepts that are elevating these other people's lives and apply them to ours in a flexible, doable way that makes sense. I mean, we don't need to do cold cold plunges. We don't need to 
you know, at Michael Easter was talking about um, his whole book is about the comfort crisis and how we've come too comfortable as a society. And he went hunting in the wilderness in, I want to say like Alaska oh, wow. for days on end. And it was just a very brutal trip. Sure. And he felt like he was going to die a few times. But the point of his book is we have to start choosing the more difficult thing if we wanted to kind of, almost like if we want to kind of evolve. I think that yeah. Yeah. for me, my take my takeaway from the book was do hard things every single day in little drips and drops. Mm-hmm. And over time that adds up. Yeah. He's why I got into rucking and rucking. If you don't know about that. I do, but explain it to the audience if okay. you don't mind. Yeah. It's basically a weighted walk. Yeah. Put a ruck pack on a ruck pack is military talk for a heavy backpack. Yeah. Rucking is kind of sweeping the nation. Yep. People have rucking groups here and there. You can ruck with a couple pounds in a backpack. You can ruck with an official ruck pack. I use Go Ruck, not sponsored. They could sponsor me if they want. (laughs) But I really like it's a plate carrier, Mm -hmm. 25 pounds. Whatever you can do to add to what you're already doing is going to be an improvement. It's wildly good for your your physical health. But to me, when I ruck, I'll put 25 pounds on my back. I will go for an hour fast paced hike and I am beat and I have the endorphins that I used to have when I would run. Sure. And that is hard for me to hit. Like I can't get that in the gym. I know. But rucking is fantastic. So going on your normal walk. So you want to walk downtown and get coffee, put some weight on your back. Yeah. Good idea. It's good for midlife women specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Because the weight, any weight bearing exercise is going to help our bones, right? Helps muscle mass. Right. Great cardio. Yeah. Cool. That was a complete side note. No, totally <laughs> but, good idea. But that's like that's one example though of what you can do to make the so rather than going outside and just going for a normal walk, add yeah. some make it hard. Harder. Make it slightly harder. Just turn just yeah. turn up the dial a little yeah. bit. And start and with then you keep pounds. turning it up. Yeah. Start with five exactly. pounds, ten, you know, yeah. add the weight as you need to go. Not, I'm gonna start out with twenty five pounds. You're gonna end with like, well, no. that sucked. I, I did that. Yeah. I started with fifteen pounds and I was like, This is too hard. No, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And then I did that a couple years ago, got the best. Then I listened to his book and I was like, all right, I'm going to try that again. Yeah. And I tried it again and I got better at it and better at it. And then I yep. graduated to 20 pounds and then I added a little more weight and now I'm at 30 pounds. Oh my gosh. It's really hard. <laughs> but I have, like, now I have. Think about being with, when you're pregnant, like you had 30 pounds in your belly and you're walking with that right. in the front, but now it's on your back. But still that's, imagine walking it's, for an hour at a fast pace when you're pregnant. Like, oh. Well, that's what I think about a lot yeah, when I yeah. do it. It was like when we had our kids on the, our backs yes. and we go for a walk. Yeah. That's what it's like again. Yeah. That's a and, great idea. It's just like with the kid on your back, you can't stop and take the kid off your back and leave it and walk away. <laughs> right. You got to take your kid with you. Yeah. You got to take the pack with you. Yes. You can't I'll leave it. Someplace. Take it off and, yeah. and ditch yeah. it. You're forced to bring it home with yes. you. Yes. Yes. Good idea. Well, you mentioned a few books. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight all these in the show notes, but I was going to ask you, what are you like, if you had to recommend like your top three books to people, what do you always recommend? Starting with the fair play, okay, the fair play method. I 
hands down, if you were only to do one book, that is the book. And I would recommend you get that book before you even get married. Okay. Nice work. It's so, so good. The second book is The Good Life. Mm. It is based on a Harvard study that was 84, 85 years long, and they followed participants and their descendants to figure out what does it take to live a good life. Mm. And they brought in a whole bunch of other research from other cultures and other genders, and they came up with one thing. Well, if they had to narrow it down to one thing, it would be to live a good life, you need to build good relationships. Mm-hmm. Good relationships, deep, meaningful, deep, meaningful relationships with people and lighter, almost superficial relationships with your community. Oh, yeah. Doing that will elevate your quality of life and Mm. help you feel like you're living a more flourishing life. So if you did one thing, it is to have these connections. So that's the good life. And then I'm torn between the next two. Like I really love, okay. I really (laughs) love atomic habits. That was my gateway drug into habits. And then I moved on to, there's a couple other ones. There's better than before is a great primer. Like better than before is a simple overview of habits and how they really fit into who you are in your Mm -hmm. life. And then there's the godfather, BJ Fogg. He wrote tiny habits. Tiny. He's, BJ Fogg is a behavioral scientist. Okay. And he changed how people look at habits and atomic habits by James Clear. He references BJ Fogg often. Okay. Gretchen hmm. Rubin is the author of yeah, Better Than Before. Before. So how we spend our days yes. is how we spend our life. life. Yeah. We have to pay attention to how we're, how things are playing yep. out. Yep. The last book is about communication. It's called You're Not Listening. Hmm. Unfortunately, I don't have the author's name. That's okay. Here. I'll find it. It is a fantastic book because you want to work on communication. This is where you start. You start with listening and you do not need to have other people in your life participating in the good communication because you will start leading by example. Mm-hmm. It will improve every relationship you have, especially if you are talking about your partner. Yeah. So if you're married and you are, like slowly inching towards empty nest, you want to make sure your communication is really, really good because the divorce rate in empty nest is no joke. People have so many issues that could be resolved by just communication. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite books. It's really straightforward. It's interesting too. She talks about a lot of different ways we communicate. She talks about body language. Yeah. Um, it's a very good book. Highly recommend. Okay. Awesome. I love that. All right. Now moving into favorite hobbies. What are you into right now? What's your big, like, and I'm sure it's changed over time, but what is like, what's it right now for you? Well, I think I just mentioned them all. Uh, Pull-ups is a weird, weird obsession of mine. And we haven't talked about that. I've been in gym since I was 14 years old. I have not seen women do pull-ups until the past few years yeah. on social media. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. Um, yeah. And then, you know, CrossFit, it became more of a thing, but that's not for the average person. And I remember seeing a young woman in the gym in 2018. Again, that was the year of change for me. Yes. yes. She, she did like three pull-ups and I'm watching her and I asked her, how'd you do that? And she said, oh, I did it by just doing it. 
like literally just trying over and over again, mm-hmm. I finally was able to do it. She lied, by the way. She lied about her training, yeah. which I found out later on. But <laughs> I started in 2021. So I started two years ago. It's like I'm on a mission. And I researched, I studied, I found a program, I did the program, I failed the pull up <laughs> by the end. It's like, okay, let's optimize, let's do it again, let's go back, let's look at it, find the weaknesses, plug the hole. And I got it, I got one, and that's not enough. Now I want to do four. And it just kept going, and I've just gotten stronger, and I feel better. And it's just like, that's, I guess that's a hobby. Yeah, but the rucking, the rucking is also a hobby. I really love that. And the other hobby is habits. I, I'm almost embarrassed to say that, but it is. Well, but you know, when you don't have them, it sucks because then you aren't living or probably a really structured and healthy mm-hmm. life because habits are super important. I to- like, I have a lot of bad habits. It's the yeah. good habits we need to build. And I totally get that. Uh, yeah. I was obsessed with his book as well. And I read it gosh, three or four years ago now. Uh, and I need to go back and read it again because it's one of those yeah. books. It's like, wow, what a kick in the pants. It is. And you know, I have a tip for you too, for that. What I love to do is when I, when I listen to an audiobook mm-hmm. or I read one and you want to learn it. Right. And it's so hard yeah. to like actually start doing this stuff. You might pick out a couple of things that you do. What I started doing was I will get the audiobook, and when I'm getting ready in the morning, I will put it on for 15 minutes, whatever. And just listen to it again. Hmm. And I will then re-listen to the book over the next two or three weeks. And it works so well because it's just these little hits you get every day. Yeah. But speaking of habits, the reason why I feel like habits are so important is because you want to create automated habits and you don't have to think about what you're doing. Yes. And learning how to identify, you know, things you don't want to be doing anymore in learning how to replace them with something that you do want to be doing or getting better at, I don't want to say self-control, but I want to say almost, you want to just get better at how you manage yourself. You want to be in control. That's what I, that's the way I look at this. Learning how to create new habits and how to replace the existing ones that you no longer want, that no longer serve you is about you taking control. I think that I feel that way about all of this stuff is that having a life plan is about taking control. Yeah. And it's probably because I spent so long feeling out of control. Yes. And then you realize we have control. Yeah. Or more control than we think. Yes. We really do. One thing I've always learned or heard about is the more habits you have, then the less decisions you have to make. It's just what you do. And you don't have to yes. think about it. You just because yeah. I think I think that's mom. It is. It's a lot of decisions. Do we do this? Do we do that? Do I make this? Do I make that? Do I start this now or do I wait till later? Like there's, everything's a decision all day long. And by the end, that's why you're so freaking tired because you're making decisions all day. And if you have a lot of those things are now habits instead of decisions, yep. you get to make great decisions at the end of the day because you no longer are like exhausting yourself throughout the day. So I love that you brought that up because there's a study that says that we make something like 35,000 decisions every mm, single day. I believe it. That's the average person. They're not talking about a mom. A mom is also making decisions for everybody else in the household. So I would venture to say that we are around 50,000 a day. And yes, we have the cognitive ability. We can make great choices in the morning because we're fresh. 
We haven't experienced a lot of fatigue, decision fatigue, end of day, forget it. That's where all of our bad choices happen. Every single one happens at the end of the day. Oh, for sure. For sure. The, the snacking, the the watching, yeah. binge watching, whatever, scrolling yeah. your phone. Like it's yeah. like you just, it's like your worst part of yourself shows up all of a sudden. Like, yes. I'm going to completely like just throw this whole thing down the toilet because I don't care anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime you can minimize decision-making, you are winning. Yeah, for sure. I want to honor your time, but I also want to ask you one more thing. So this is something I always ask all my, my guests. What's one thing in your life right now that's making you feel odd and that's awake, well, and empowered? What comes to mind is I'm very excited about women and where we are right now and where we're going and the possibility for all of us. It feels like we are on the edge of something yeah. and it's really exciting. And part of me is scared, but I'm mostly excited for all of us. Yeah. I love that. And and being a part of it and the role that you're playing yeah. that, and, and what you get to do for work. And if it's kind of like, um, I feel like even by this podcast, by doing this podcast, if I can inspire just one woman to look at herself differently, look at her life differently in just a small way, it may change the trajectory of her life in a way that she never would have expected because she heard someone else's story. She didn't think yes. of it that way, whatever. And I think that's what you're doing too with your accountability coaching is you're helping somebody see something different in themselves that they maybe haven't before, or they're, you're giving them a chance to examine what's possible mm. for them. And you're going to be there for them to help them do that. And when we have more women doing that, I think it's like, watch out. We're going to like just explode into yes. the world. And when women are doing amazing things and becoming their whole true authentic selves, this world is going to completely change for the good. I truly believe that. I feel like moms, yes. especially when yep. moms get behind something, watch out. I mean, we get yeah. shit done. For real. We do. And that's what I want to remind every, every mom out there. You think that you can't do something. Mm -hmm. I want you to remember when your kids were babies yeah. and you did all the stuff every single day when you did not want to, yeah. you got out of bed yeah. at whatever hour yeah. you worked all day long. You did so many hard things on repeat day in day out for years on end. Yep. You can do whatever you That's want right. to do. I do too. I love that. So I thank you so, so much for being a woman that we all can look up to and look toward to help us get to it where we want to go. And I just, I'm so thankful that you said yes and that you're here for my audience. And I, I just, I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for you as well. I am totally just, I'm your number one fan and I cannot wait for, Aww. I can't wait for just, you know, to see all these women that you're helping what they get to do. I love to find out their success stories. I hope that you get to share those on your website. Uh, and that speaking of that, where can people find you? Where's the best place? Where do you hang out the most? Where can people kind of get in touch with you, find out more about your business if they want to get your coaching or just pay attention to what you've got going on in life? I am really active in my stories on Instagram. Okay. Like that's like behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm also on TikTok as well. Both of them have the same handle. It's jennifer.chaney. Okay. And then my website is very cleverly named jenniferchaney.com. Nice. Perfect. Easy breezy. All right. Awesome, Jennifer. Well, thank you again so much for your time. And I look forward to this is, doing this, this again. Is yeah, I love it. I, I adore you. I love what you're doing. I 
I have very high hopes for you. you. I do. I feel like you're making change one, one podcast at a time. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, honey. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. I am so grateful for your time. And if you liked what you heard, please head to where you listen to podcasts, rate and review so we can be found by other people. Please share on Instagram, your social media channels, wherever else you go so we can reach as many people as possible so they can meet these amazing women and hear these conversations. If you'd like to connect further, you can find me over at my website at halliesawyer.com or on Instagram. I'm usually going to be at uh, Hallie underscore Sawyer or The Odd Life, which is this podcast specific Instagram account. All right. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you soon.